Hello, welcome to With Bowl and Spoon. I am here today with my guest and my friend, Raiden. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Raiden Sorak. I uh, live in Wilkinsburg and uh, we're currently in my office at Grow Pittsburgh where I will be rounding out my time just after a couple more weeks. I can't believe you're leaving. I know. It's been, I've been rounding up and it's been basically 12 years. But wow. Very close, very close to 12 years. <laughs> Did you start in the winter? I started, yeah, February, February 1st, 2012, and did not think I would be here this long when I started. So what brought you to Grow Pittsburgh? I had kind of an interesting combination of job experience when I was looking for something at the time. Um, and met uh, my predecessor, Marisa, through a friend. And she was mentioning, oh, we're looking to hire someone. And at the time, I had just come off of, I had I'd done a full season as the first intern at Blackberry Meadows Farm. Um, so I had gotten a direct farming experience in, um, on an 85-acre organic CSA farm with animals. And I had also worked at uh, the Waldorf School and Construction Junction. So kind of an interesting combination of teaching and construction or deconstruction. And I'd also done a fellowship uh, with an organization that, that doesn't exist anymore called the Initiative for Transgender Leadership, um, where I worked with basically a lot of coalition building and community organizing around LGBT issues in the city, primarily around workplace issues. And so that combination of like farming community organizing and labor and teaching was actually perfect, a perfect just conglomeration of different skills to be applying for this job. And when I first applied, it was the like community garden coordinator on the ground, part-time temporary seasonal $12 an hour. It's really a different scene from, uh, from how it is now. Yeah. Yeah. It's really grown. <clears throat> no pun intended. That's totally I know. funny. There's... My brain pumps. Yes. Yeah. No, well, we, um, in 2017, we had seven babies born to staff members within mm. a year, and we were really we were really making all the puns then. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Little sprouts. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. So you, wow, wow, that combination of Waldorf and Construction yeah. Junction, and then Blackberry Meadows, yeah. and, you know, just, uh, and I'm guessing that was... Probably about 15, 20 years ago? Uh, well, yeah. No, Blackberry Meadows would have been 2009. So, 2009. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 15. So, but I yeah. just, I know the evolution of Blackberry Meadows. Mm-hmm. And it's been pretty intense. And I'm really looking forward to interviewing with Greg and, oh, and Jen. yeah, you I totally asked them, should. but they're, yeah. you know, this is a busy season for That's them. So with busy. markets and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Catch, catch Jen in you know, January. Yeah, I think it, what was so great also about working there was that I think at the time, Greg was like the Western regional director of PASA. And so like, that's how I met like Mindy and got the job at Garden Dreams. That's how I met. And that's how I got the job at Construction Junction. And I also met a volunteer at Black Meadows who worked at the Waldorf School. And that's how I got connected with that opportunity. And just so much, they, they were so connected and so committed to like having a farm that wasn't just like in isolation but connected with a lot of different community and the experience and training that they did, they trained at Kretschmann's farm. 
you know, that just connected with them with so many people. So really, I really credit them a lot to the connections that I made after that. Yeah, it's a big deal. So what do you enjoy most about growing food? Growing food, yeah. Is that is that how you came into this, growing food? Yeah, growing food and helping, yeah, helping people on vacant properties basically, like, make their dreams come true around what they wanted to see in the space. And I think a lot of people, and myself included, I think, you know, I was coming off of working on a farm and, and thinking a lot about community food gardens as, like, very food focused, which they are, especially in, uh, as a distinction from like flower gardens. But I think that like a lot of people who join community gardens, they, they think that the, it's going to be all about the food, but then they kind of realize that it's actually all about the people. And that was, that was a quick, um, realization, I think pretty early on in the work. And I think that that's really kind of the best part. I mean, it's like, otherwise I, cause I like growing food, like by myself in my backyard, where I don't have to make decisions or like, you know, I have to make decisions that are hard enough already kind of with myself and my family, but then to think about making decisions with like other people in the neighborhood or whatever, you know, like it's a whole nother level that has a lot of value to it, but it's just a really different thing to, to choose to grow in community with other people. Um, and, but I think that that's really the, the valuable part of it is because you get to learn from them and teach them and, your kids play together and um, get to know what's going on in the neighborhood and share recipes and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's really, it's, yeah, you, you, you can grow a tomato, but it's really just like all the things around that tomato that are really what's happening in some ways. And, and tomato growing being kind of a catalyst for the other conversations that are happening in the space, I guess. Um, and so that, that part has been really cool. And that, since that's been really the focus, what I really enjoy a lot about the work and then um, as I've been able to you know, gain experience and responsibility and, and in my role here at Grow Pittsburgh and now being the director of this department, um, really trying to keep the focus on that. And, and um, that's a good example of kind of how we've taken the programming from when I started that was like really well, nearly 100% focused on starting new gardens with some, you know, we had the workshop series, we started the seed swap around that time. There was like trying to make community gardener connections, um, definitely. But the programming has really shifted a lot to being more about the network and the curriculum and how do we build successful groups of people that will ha- then have successful gardens. Making sure you have all the right characters. Yes. Yeah. Like you you got to have the people that, like, <laughs> knows everybody in the neighborhood, but, like, maybe has no idea about how to grow. But, like, knows the person that knows how to grow. And that person maybe doesn't really like to talk to that many people and likes to just do their thing. But if they're connected with the one who knows everybody, like, that's how to make it happen. But I feel like a lot of um, people think that they got to, like, kind of do it all. But you don't have to do it all. That's why you're doing it in a group, you know, so you can have your skills and they can have their skills. I think one of the most difficult things about sharing space with other people is when they're not like maintaining their weeds or when they have a different view of what weeds are than you do. And then they go to seed and they spread to other people's beds. And so you need someone who's really going to be strict about the guidelines and enforce them. Strict about guidelines. Like I think it's about having clear expectations 
when you start, when you join. And it's, that's, on the, that's on the guarding group to set clear expectations and have like an orientation process for new people coming in. Um, and it's on the gardener to be like, actually, like, I'm doing it this way because X, Y, Z. Or there just needs to be systems in place to support people that are just new to growing and don't really know any better. Or they have a million things going on in their, li- their life and maybe they're a little bit in over their head. So how can you structure the garden so that it's like, hey, your first year you need to be in a plot with a buddy or something like that. The buddy system, yeah. never a bad idea. Yeah, buddy system or, um, hey, if we notice these things happening on your plot, we'll like give you a call first and check in. Like, are you okay? You know, rather than just being like, this person isn't doing it. How do we clamp it down kind of thing? But I, I, I understand a lot, of this, a lot of the stress around the management of the gardens is around like just it being a lot of work and it being hard, you know, and, and not having, feeling like there's not enough help, you know, and that, I think that drives a lot of the anxiety and the, um, some of the behavior that like can be a little bit off-putting, but like, I get it. It's just hard. It's hard work. And I think when you're all like, yeah, let's start a garden. It's like, we don't really think about the hard work that much, you know? Um, so I'd always encourage folks to just start small. You can always build more from there, you know? That was the whole purpose of the application for yeah. Adopt a Lot is yeah. to have people think through all these things because yeah. they don't think about them. So yeah, and it's really you know, it, yeah, it's really helpful to have some have other folks who have had that experience to talk through this stuff with, um, and that that's like the number two thing is always just like, yeah, start small and also like go see what it's like at other spaces. Like, go get inspired by other spaces, go get mentorship from other community garden leaders, join the garden and work with them for a season or two so you really, like, get to see how they operate and think about what you might change if you were going to start your own project or then realize, like, hey, I can do what I want to do with this group. And then you have a greater capacity as a whole as well. You're not competing for volunteers or residents or whatever. So it seems like a a lot of this work, the work that you did, you've done, and other areas of your life that mm-hmm. you've mentioned have been about creating community, mm-hmm. and but also about food and food growing because yeah. you you had the whole experience of working on a farm. So, yeah. but I, you know, community building and food like they go hand yeah. in hand. So it really was um, a good match. Yeah. yeah, how did that how did that come from can you can you think to like yeah, past like I don't know. Where, where did you grow up? Let's start oh, there. yeah. Um I was born in New Jersey. I lived there until I was about 6 and then we moved to Massachusetts and I lived in um suburban Boston area uh for about 13 years. And um growing up Jewish and so like that that also is like food is a big part of that and the food culture is a big part of that and kind of realizing like oh like I'm part of this community therefore like this is the food that we eat that kind of um experience and you know going to grandma's house and you know being fed to certain dishes and how that really like locks into your brain very early on and um so I I think that the the food community thing is definitely tied into that piece of it and just like kind of Jewish food and culture. I think that that is, that's definitely one of the main pieces of it. But I think also, 
to a certain extent also just realizing with a lot of community organizing stuff that if people's like basic needs aren't met, then the work can't really happen um, or that the, the stress and the, you know, um, rat race just kind of consumes people. And so, um, yeah, just being able to like roll up somewhere and someone feeds you is so valuable and really takes a lot of the pressure off. And so I think um, I'd like a pretty, I don't know, destabilized youth <laughs> um, situation at a lot of, uh, not a lot of structure or uh, systems that really kind of worked for me. I ended up um, going to like a private boarding school for three years of high school um, and was kind of at risk of like dropping out, like not maybe not dropping out, but definitely like doing poorly in school, Wait, I guess. Hold on. Yeah. Private boarding schools that like, you were you were sent away to school because you were bad. No, well. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> like, that, would, that would totally. Either my mom did a really good job of convincing me that it was my idea, Ooh. or um, it was basically like, oh, well, like it's clear that you aren't getting like the attention that you need here because you could easily just like coast along getting like C's and D's and no one would really notice kind of thing but like in a school where there's only 400 students like they will notice immediately and call you out on it and also just being in a place that was like very structured like structured in a way of just like I had a place to you know stay and breakfast was at a certain time and like just very organized um and a really good education um and one of the things that was really that was like the consistent thing for me a lot of the time was playing ice hockey in the winter time. I did that from like fifth through 12th grade. So between that and then getting some more, you know, that and going to concerts was pretty consistent for me, which is why I lost a lot of my hearing. But, um, but in, in, uh, in that high school boarding school experience, just getting access to all of those resources was just really amazing. Um, I mean, I went to good uh, public schools, um, and a little bit, I, I I had a lot of struggle with being like, uh, not kind of like fitting in with the like super wealthy boarding school kids where it's like, you know, they've gone to private school their whole lives. And like, I was just kind of coming in in 10th grade and, and they've also like been together for a really long time. And so like the kids that, that came in in 10th grade, not having been part of the same group were, we kind of formed our own crew a little bit. Um, but I think that, I don't know, that experience kind of just made me realize, like, wow, like, what would be possible if, like, every student had this level of resource? And that, that was kind of an awakening. Um, and then I, like, was very firmly of the decision that I did not want to go to another, like, small private prep school-like college, which a lot of my peers went to, which is, like, fine. A lot of them are great, but I, that's, like... I was really excited to go to um, State University of New York School of Purchase College, be with all the like weirdo art kids. And that was a really good experience to also then, to then go to like a state school where it's just like, yeah, we're consistently called the ugliest campus and like did not have the level of wealth and endowment and all this stuff that like I had in high school. And what was the value of, of all of that? You know, there's a lot of value in that in that experience of kind of like, making something with less you know 
Did you embrace, did, did the school kind of embrace yeah. that run? Oh, absolutely. Persona? Yeah, very yeah. much like, um, it was all this like super yeah, ugly shit. brick. <laughs> yeah, like it was like, not even like a pretty red brick, but just kind of this like, like washed out kind of like brownish yellow brick that was literally like all the entire um, like mall area was all br- like just square tiles, like and all the buildings were like kind of squat brick, the same color brick. Just everything was brick. So we kind of embraced that of like, you know, you got to do something to kind of stand out among this drab kind of environment. Um, there's a lot of art, like chalk art all over the brick stuff, you know, and um, people removing certain brick tiles in different patterns and just like doing, doing weird stuff with that. And um, I really appreciated that. And being so close to New York City, I got to be, like, excited about cuisine from a lot of different cultures in a way that, like, I we'd had, like, Indian food on a kind of a regular basis, like, near Boston and sushi a couple of times. But, like, New York City was really where I was like, oh, my God, I love food. And I love going to restaurants and trying new foods. And that was, um, so I kind of grew up in, like, a household where we, like, had a lot of, like, canned and boxed things and wasn't really like yeah wasn't very adventurous eater but then like that experience in New York really that helped a lot so I think it was like yeah love of food community building um before I moved to Pittsburgh I also like worked on a small educational farm that had like a corn maze and animals and a pumpkin patch and that kind of stuff and I was like oh I I could do this yeah yeah yeah, it was um, it was pretty fun. Very so did you, low stakes. Did you yeah. go to college for art? No, actually, um, I was thinking about. It. I kind of wanted to go for um, uh, design tech, like st- theater design, but because um, that was one of my favorite things I did in high school. But I decided I didn't want to be kind of stuck in one track, so I went to for a literature program and was able to do a lot of different things. And so, really, like. It was literature and gender studies and a lot of like theory and uh, composition analysis, like that kind of stuff. Um, And so I really didn't, like I hadn't taken a math or science class like at all in college, Um, which is why now I've been taking just a class a semester at CCAC in math and science just to, if I want to do something down the line with that's more hands-on science, I'd, I'd, which I kind of like to do. I've just been like, okay, I'll chip away at this a little bit because like most programs are like, you need X, Y, Z amount of credits of biology and chemistry and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I didn't do great in chemistry or biology in high school. <laughs> so it's like, I better try this out, make sure I like it. And I do like it. It's been great, actually. Yeah, that would yeah. be that would be a no for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in grad school, I think we had to do a science Oh. And I ended up doing a soil class. Huh. From Sherry uh, Edenborn. She taught at Chatham. She retired. Oh, cool. But she was yeah. big into worms and vermicompost. And wow, stuff. A, gar- a gardener into, named Edenborn. That is, yeah. Yep. I love that. There's a very unusual vocabulary word, I think called like an, apt- an aptonym, which is like, you know, when someone has a last name that's like 
related to the field of work that they have, you know, that they're in or whatever. There's a lot of really good ones out there, but that's, that's a great yeah. one. That's a great, yeah. 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 Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I guess growing up in a Jewish culture, yeah. your love of food could have gone in many directions. And it's interesting because you said you grew up with a lot of canned food, mm-hmm. but now you're responsible for growing fresh food or, you know, your community projects. Yeah. That's ideally yeah. <laughs> the goal of these community projects. In addition to growing community, yeah. creating community. Yeah. Um, but you, you could have also gone in the direction of cooking being a yeah. chef. Did you ever think about that? Uh, my partner would really like me to go to culinary school. <laughs> they were just like, just like, you know, I think you're thinking about all these different programs with like, have you thought about culinary school that you could just cook me a lot of delicious things all the time? Um, <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. Ulterior motive. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I do. Mean, I would yeah. love that too. And yeah. honestly, my husband has yeah. stepped up and started like doing all the, during the pandemic so and especially cool. when I broke yeah. my foot, he's been doing all the cooking to the point where I'm like, Get out of my fucking kitchen. Yeah. That's not my kitchen. It's yeah. my kitchen. And it has complete... We, the gender roles in our house are not traditional. It's, that's fun. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I, really, I really do like... I like baking more. That's kind of a little bit more my... Baking and breakfast are kind of my wheelhouse with, with cooking. Especially when I lived by myself, I reverted to like... I would eat a grilled cheese sandwich like every day. <laughs> or like go out to eat. Like very like... Uh, I don't know, lowest common denominator, like whatever is available, I will eat, whether it's like some amazing gourmet cuisine or trying new food things to being like, what is the easiest possible food? Like I would just eat like an entire bag of chips and entire jar of salsa for like dinner, just like (laughs) crunch on that. So cereal is always a good one. Yeah. Cereal. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I learned, I learned kind of, I learned in like high school, I had like at home ec class in, in middle school where we had to learn how to use recipes and that kind of stuff. And that really, that really helped me be interested. Like, I think before that I like, I always like helped my grandmother like make challah or I always like, there were a couple or like make pancakes or something like that. But it wasn't until that class really that I was just like, oh, like I could make all these other things. So I like started to learn how to make baked macaroni and cheese and like tomato sauce from scratch and like, French toast, like basics, but like enough to be like, you're a teenager and you need to eat something and that's like, great, you know? Grilled cheese sandwiches are still kind of the top Well, what's not to love? Even as a lactose intolerant person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, grilled cheese sandwiches. But like you can make them fancy with like sliced pickles or like hummus on it too, or like Havarti cheese or sprouts. I don't know, there's like so many things. My husband puts... Thin piece of prosciutto, mm. if, if you're into. Oh yeah, yeah. And a little marmalade. Whoa, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes he'll put like a little pesto. Mm-hmm. Just the hint of yeah. like, ooh, party. That sounds really great. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he is uh, very good. He's mm. he knew that one of the things that I love the most about working downtown was going out to lunch. Yeah. And that mm. was one thing that I de- definitely budgeted Mm -hmm. for was to eat lunch out because it's great to take the time and also the great restaurants yeah and so when COVID hit and we're all at home he's like well I know you missed this I'm gonna make you some fun lunches and so he that's so great I know I'm such a lucky girl I need to stop talking about that um (laughs) it's not about me it's about you (laughs) and your food evolution (laughs) yeah um you know now you know I have a kid who's almost six and so now I'm like responsible for her 
you know, I'm responsible for another being's like relationship to food, you know? And, you know, we, we all inherit the crappy stuff that comes along with food relationships <laughs> from family member. Like I came from a family of like a lot of people that don't really, that kind of hate to cook or would like, my grandfather notoriously like loved hospital food, like literally just like calories, like bring it in, like lit- anything. But also like we'd go out for like steak and lobster and he would just drop like. No, hold please. Oh, yeah. I have a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did your grandfather like put himself in the hospital on purpose <laughs> no, no. to get hospital food? Like no, how he would that- just like. Get yeah. discovered. Is, he, that, is that just a phrase? I haven't heard that phrase. No, like I was just, he was in the military and would like, you know, MRE, like just like literally anything, any food. He was like a big guy. And I think he was just like always hungry, but like didn't really ever cook for himself. And my grandmother like hated to cook, but, you know, still needed to make sure that people were like fed so she would kind of do the bare, the minimum, minimal kind of food situation. So we'd like travel occasionally to my other grandma's house in, in Illinois, and that house was really all about cooking. But we didn't really like spend a lot of time there. But I remember feeling like, ah, oh, like this is like a kitchen where they're just, we're always hanging out in here. There's always something cooking. There's always something to make. They had one of, you know, I thought it was like, they had a big family. Um, they have a big family, but they had, they were like the first family that I remember going to that had like a, an extra refrigerator in their garage. And I was like, oh my God, like this is all about the food here, you know? So I, I think I was, I was always intrigued about like how other families were doing the thing. And I think that, I think it kind of primed me for being really curious about that. But yeah, a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of like crap around like, you know, judgment or like guilt around food and stuff like that that is just like hard to slough off you know but I feel like done a pretty good job um, but my pitfalls a little bit like will revert back to like only easy, easy packaged foods but very easily <laughs> but I think that that's like I talk to a lot of people who live by themselves that are just like it's hard to like make something that's not just utilitarian because it's just for me right and so it really makes a big difference if like someone comes over or we share a meal together, we go out or something like that. And then it's like, oh, now it's a thing. So now we're like really, we can kind of step our game up in terms of the food making. And I mean, what you're describing too about like, oh, you're, you're like, your husband's making food for you. And there's like another level of like care and attention and like relationship that is part of that rather than like, I just got to get the calories in. You know what I mean? Yeah. The intentional, you know, enjoyment of Mm -hmm. food I think is a thing I have there are people in my life as well who just don't understand my love of food Mm. and they're just like I just want to yeah yeah and then they'll go out and their their treat day for themselves is to go out and have like McDonald's or something and I'm like what sometimes (laughs) I'm going for ramen which sometimes (laughs) that can be also enjoyable yeah (laughs) I mean it depends. I always, I always made sure that like oh, no one ever yeah, saw you know me what? driving the Grove Pittsburgh truck and going to go like get McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I gotta be in my car if I'm gonna go do that and stop by somewhere. There's sausage egg and cheese biscuit. I do love a McDonald's fry. I mean, not you know, I I guess it's just like I try not to feel like there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't make sense to support companies like that that are making food in like 
these terrible energy, like environmentally depleting animal exploitive, people exploitive ways. So I totally get that. And it's also like, I can't, I can't like live so rigidly that I am like driven away from getting takeout food every now and then. You know what I mean? Like fast food. It's just like, I, I, and I think that that was like a bit, that has been also like a big part of it. I think that's a big part of this like food growing kind of thing is that it's just like, we want to meet people where they're at and help them make like the next best choice or like the next level up. And people are starting from all over the place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's like a lot of a lot of shame around like, oh, I'm eating this and it's like healthier, whatever than this other thing. But um, but I think also like having a kid and just being like exhausted all the time. Like I get it. I get it so much more now than I ever got. Like even my own upbringing of being like, oh, you have two kids and parents are working like tuna helper like let's do it you know like easy easy as possible so I get it and I I shouldn't I don't mean to shame and and McDonald's was just you know one example of like I feel like it's kind of a bland food Um, and I would choose something a little more interesting and exciting like ramen or Szechuan and I think a lot a big part of that is being introduced to different kinds of foods when you're younger so that it doesn't seem as like you know, it, it doesn't seem as scary, but also it doesn't seem, it, it, it can, it has the potential to develop into a comfort food, mm-hmm. you know? Like, my kid will, like, loves lentil soup and will eat many bowls of lentil soup and also is, like, very, you know, focused on, like, I need a sweet treat right now. Like, give me, you know, um, but I'm like, oh, great, success. I've, I've spent a lot of time recently with a lot of other kids that are, like, very limited in what they will eat, and that is whole nother ball game that I <laughs> feels very blessed to not have that experience no matter what challenges we're having on a day-to-day like it is not that bad and so I definitely <laughs> I definitely uh I feel for the parents that are struggling with kids who literally do not want to eat anything but like butter noodles of a particular shape you know <laughs> yep <laughs> no, th- I mean this podcast is about you know exploring people's food evolution mm-hmm. and how they got to where they are yeah. today. And I've had a couple people talk about them being picky as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one person pointed out to me that it's a way that kids can control. That's one oh, of the totally. only things they can yep. control because yep. they're told what to wear. They're yep. told when to sleep. They're told when to wake up. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the only things they can yep. control. And so yep. I'm sure there's some psychology around sure. that and figuring that out. But obviously your kid doesn't feel... There's any control. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just teasing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, your kid feels very, very much included. She's more in the kind of thing, like, where I say I like something. She's like, oh, I don't like that. There you go. Even if, like, she does like it. I mean, you know, independent thinker. Yeah, so I get it. Have her own opinions. That's great. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think um, going through life, like, I would not have thought I would have ended up in a role like this or having this kind of impact. But when I look back, I can kind of see, I can see various things along the way that definitely primed me for this kind of a role that is pretty unique in terms of it's like food growing meshed with community growing kind of stuff, which is um, I, over the years I've seen 
Like, I think that we weren't really sure kind of how to find people who wanted to do this kind of work. And so we end up, like when we were looking through all the applicants who had been applying to various role, like various positions on our team, like coming from a lot of different directions and kind of having a hard time being like, okay, well, we need someone who's like kind of a community organizer, but someone who also like has had direct food growing experience, but also someone who's kind of scrappy DIY ethic, but also someone who's like a comfortable speaking in front of groups and being kind of an educator and has some teaching experience. Like it's just a lot of different things that are really hard to get all all together in the same person. So I was thinking about, you know, how we have have built a team that comes from a lot of different backgrounds in order to cover a lot of the, you know, education experience that people need to have combined with the growing experience, combined with the community building and organizing experience. And I think that now I'm seeing a lot more people come through that have a combination of that experience than than we used to see years ago, which is cool. And that's also just kind of a, a really fun part about the work is is building that team and kind of recognizing what different skills and backgrounds people are going to bring to the table so that it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be each person has to be well-rounded in this way, but it has to be the whole team has to be well-rounded in that way to have a wide range of experience and skill that they're bringing. But I think that that's just as I'm reflecting a lot on the, the time that I've been here is that, you know, it's, it's, it is really about the people that work here and the people that I work with and the people that I've mentored and have mentored me over the years, that that's really the, really one of the most fun things about working here for sure. It's just, it's great people. So do you think people have assembled those skills out of a necessity of creating their portfolio? I know like it seemed to me, you know, 15 years ago that employers kept asking for X, Y, and Z skill plus ABC mm-hmm. and LMN. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. And, and that it seemed like they were asking for unicorns everywhere yeah. and it just yeah. wasn't possible. Right. And it sounds like, you know, some of the skills you're talking about do overlap and intercept, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people that are really good at one thing or the mm-hmm. other and, you know, putting them together as a team. Anyway, do you think yeah. this is a, a I mean, I think that of there's a lot more opportunity. Yeah, I think there's more opportunities to dabble a little bit in growing food. Um, you know, people talk about their own backyard growing experiences or growing up on a farm or getting involved in a community garden or, you know, doing like woofing for a season or something like that and, and having an experience of being more of an intern on a farm space. You know, you could work at a farmer's market. There's just a lot of different ways, or the food bank, so many different ways to get involved in food systems and food growing. And I think people seeing that as like a viable option. And also kind of interestingly, there's a lot of overlap in people who are interested in food stuff and the arts. And I think that, I mean, I think that there's a lot of this this kind of scrappiness around around making art and how, you, you know, you're not just making art in a vacuum, you're making art in community and also, you know, thinking a lot about how artists have often have fewer resources than other professional people and <laughs> that you got to make, got to yeah. make do with what you got. And also maybe you're more inclined to be like, oh, maybe one of the ways I can do that is by um, finding other creative ways to get delicious food. And maybe that's growing food myself or, or, or being connected there. And but so you're, I, you're yeah. talking about you want people who can communicate well, mm-hmm. people who are not afraid to speak in front of crowds, mm-hmm. and those two people could be different right. personalities. Right. People who are 
aware of the broader aspect of food insecurity Mm -hmm. and the the larger problem there and sympathetic and empathetic to that, which is a whole other type of personality. Mm -hmm. And then people that aren't afraid of bugs and to get their hands dirty. You know, those are four pretty distinct Uh areas of... I can see yeah. four different separate humans having yeah, those, yeah. each of those characteristics. And then, you know, the arts is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think? Is it is it something about maybe the state of the world at this point that is mm-hmm. making people sort of investigate all of those things at the same time then speak out about it? Has that empowered yeah. people? I mean, I think I think a couple of things is that I think a lot of people are really hungry for genuine connection with other people that is face-to-face and hands-on. And I think that we are all trying to grapple in various ways with the destruction of this planet <laughs> um, and trying to figure out kind of what our role is in that and how do we how do we connect as much as possible with life and growing and nature while we can <laughs> not to bring it way down. But I think about this a lot. You know, it's like... I think that, you know, we, like we were talked about before about, uh, you know, kind of meeting people where they're at and having a lot of different avenues for people to get involved and and engaged around food. And sometimes that's going to be like a job training, like specific job training thing. I want to be able to do this work or landscaping work as a, as a way to employment, or I want to learn all I can about trees and, and I'm really interested in that aspect of it or, you know. I want to learn about the cooking aspect of it, or I want to learn about the food systems and food distribution aspect of it. Like, there's a lot of different ways for people to get involved, but I think I think a lot of it is about like, yeah, how can we how can we connect as much as possible with with this um, this living world that we're also very disconnected from and are having a huge impact on all the time, and vice versa, it's having a huge impact on us. Tell a kind of a fun story. <laughs> so I mentioned the jackhammering on my street right now because of all the gas lines being replaced. Nine mile run stream that used to flow on land um, was culverted and buried under the street uh, about a hundred years ago. And it goes right past my property. And when they were digging for gas, these gas lines, they like basically hit the culvert and they were like, this is unusual. What is this doing here? Um, And didn't like have a like it wasn't on the map. And so I was like thinking about like, I don't know what, like. Uh, <laughs> and this is nine mile run, right? It is, it is on the map, but it wasn't on the gas company's map. It was, yeah, like PA1 call didn't have it. I mean, this infrastructure is really old and it is, it has a major impact. You know, now they have to like reroute the whole gas line on the street and it's like I guess it was man made. Oh yes. So it shouldn't yeah. have been man-made. on the utilities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's like it's just uh, we really kind of take water flow for granted and it's always flowing and you know talking about the sinkholes that are you know the flooding there's the pollution in the water you know like there's just so many ways that what we've done to this these systems are then coming back to too like it's there's no way to get away from it um so i think about that a lot and definitely the um it's been really it's a really special thing to have found out about this thing like kind of running right right on the property line it's pretty cool we were digging for fence posts in the yard which is how we found this thing and our friend of ours who 
It's very, you know, he's kind of like, oh, there's something in the way. I'm just going to, like, dig right through this kind of thing. Like, really, like, I need to get to a certain depth of, you know. And, and uh, you know, he's kind of breaking through whatever. And then two, maybe, like, two brick-sized pieces dropped into this pit. And he was just like, oh, what is that? What's going on? And we were all kind of peering down in there and realized that's the culverted stream. That's that's where Nine Mile Run used to flow on land and now is like buried in the stream. And then every time there's rainwater overflow and sewer overflow, unfortunately, it goes through this tunnel. So it was, you know, we could hear the stream, we could smell the stream, we can kind of see it down there with a flashlight, but we didn't want to lose out on that portal opening. So when we put the fence post in... <laughs> We, we have a, concrete, have a portal. Yeah, yeah. Does anyone know you have yeah. a portal in your yes. backyard? Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. It's very, um, I talk about it, I really love it. Um, but when we concreted in the fence post, we put a pipe down in the spa- into the culvert so you can still hear the water flow down there. It's really cool. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you really have cool. a pipe that yeah. you can access the yeah. sound. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty of cool. So I told, portal I told to that, another yeah, century. Yeah, I told that story as part of like a storytelling event for Upstream a couple of years ago, and um, and and I kind of got the idea. So again, this kind of like arts connection. So Ginger Brooks Takahashi is an artist, local artist here, who had uh, through Office of Public Art had had worked with um, Upstream around you know an art piece around water and the and the installation was basically to create these manhole cover these fabricated manhole covers that you could see through to get access basically to and and understand how the infrastructure that we put in there has basically removed the visible the visible interaction that we used to have with the stream um and so after kind of seeing that work and i was like oh i have kind of my own portal and way to see into this it was uh, so, and, you know, inspired by art that then helps people connect with the natural world stuff. So maybe that's where a lot of the overlap comes into play. But, um, but it's been, I would love to continue working with artists around this work because I think there's just so many great ways to do that. You know, thinking of like Old Allegheny Garden on the north side and how there's so much art integrated into that space that really feels, yeah, feels almost like a like a retreat or like a plaza or like a, you know, there's just something extra kind of about it. They've done a really nice job. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like that you have a portal. I'm bummed that we didn't meet at your house. I could go out and see you and smell the the portal. Yeah. Yeah. I'll Um, show you. Next time. Yeah. Yes. So what did you want to be when you were a kid, when you Uh, grew up? I, um... I felt a lot more connected with animals than people as a child. And so I really wanted to be a veterinarian. And so I was kind of thinking about that for a long time. Like the Cornell Veterinary School, I think I like visited once and was uh, really interested in that. But I didn't really have like concrete ideas about what I... And I think that that was like a little bit of the like lack of stability or kind of like direction that I felt as a young person was that I like didn't really see a clear path or future for me but I did know that I like loved animals and loved like reading and writing was a big was a big part of it um and music and um so just trying to find ways to connect with art in various ways um and also I think it was through the relationships like I guess I, I learned kind of what the 
my direction would be through relationships with other people. Like I had relationships with people who went to the college that I went to and got to visit there first, can kind of see myself there and was like, okay, yes, I could see there. You know, same with the, um, the private high school that I had. I had like relationship with people before I started there. And then same with coming to Pittsburgh, relationship with people who came here, I visited, got to know, you know, like always kind of following that um, through relationships. And so I think that there's, you know, I've become a lot more people focused yes, over the years um, in in a way that is just like the relationships kind of precede any next step, I guess. And I, I guess that's a little bit of the my practice with how community organizing works is that it takes time and a lot of patience and energy and hard work in a lot of cases to build a lot of those relationships and networks. But then as they're built, they just keep building on top of each other because it's a ripple effect. The more folks you get to know and kind of what they do and what they're connected with and the more connections you make with them too. So that's really been kind of my style of work and leadership here is around being like, oh, this group we have to talk to because we might be able to partner with them on this other thing that I heard about because I read their newsletter and I know this other person from like, we used to work together 10 years ago and now they're doing this thing and now how can we connect there? So, um, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a clear sense of that. And I think, I think that that was actually the work that I did with the like initiative for trans leadership thing was really about like giving young trans people an opportunity to like have a professional work experience and get paid to do that because I think a lot of us might feel kind of directionless. Um, and so I think that, that that was then plugging into like a whole nother big network of like all these nonprofits that work around like LGBT issues in the city and getting to know kind of who's who, getting to know all the drama and getting to know all the lovely things that everyone does. Um, there are humans involved. <laughs> humans there will involved, be drama. there will be drama. So yeah, it was really... Um, it was really a great experience to be like, okay, how do you actually go about learning a professional community and, and kind of finding your place in that? And so I think that that really helped me then realize like, oh, like it really, if that's kind of the most important thing, it really could be any opportunity that I kind of jump into and then use those skills to make it what I kind of want it to be. And so I think then when this opportunity presented itself to start a job here, and I was like, oh, sure, like I can do that. And then over time kind of realized like that it was building into more of a career because of the longevity really um, and the relationships being built too. Um, and I've been, I've been really supported here in getting to try a lot of different things and, you know, professional development wise, but also within the organization and just, you know, I think that takes, takes time and just building trust and, and um, responsibility. And I feel like, yeah, I'm excited to kind of pass the torch and yeah. what made you make the decision to leave? I mean, I'm I'm the kind of person that if I am having a good time, I'm going to stay. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it actually gets pretty comfortable, whatever. So um, making a leap like that seems, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's not like you're stagnant or anything. You you feel support. Like, yeah, what, what made yeah, you decide to Yeah, I mean, I think part, part of it is like, you know, when I, when I came to this role, it was kind of serendipitous in a way and I didn't really think of it as kind of like a long-term plan and it became that 
but it also kind of got me curious about what other things are out there now that I have a, I have so much more experience than I had then. Like I was working in a coffee shop at the time. Like I was just like, there wasn't, I didn't really know what was going to be the next steps. Um, so I feel like now that I'm like, okay, I've done, you know, I've done this for a solid 12 years. What else is out there? Especially now that I built this really great network and can talk to people in a lot of different uh, areas of work and kind of find out um, what I want to do next. I, I think that a, cu- a couple of reasons, I mean, one is like, I'm, I'm kind of an anxious person. So I'm always like, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> what else could I be doing? You know? So there's like a little bit of that, but um, there, a lot of it is like, okay, I feel ready to kind of see what else is out there for me. You know, I mentioned maybe being interested in going back to school or doing something more hands-on, uh, for a while. It, it's also just a good place right now. Like, uh, we were, we were trying to apply to some private schools for my kid and we didn't get in. So now we go to a free public school, which is great. <laughs> and then it kind of opens up some opportunities of being like, okay, I don't have to also worry about that income that needs to happen to make, to make school happen. And my partner's taking on a little bit more and you know we have some cushion so it's like it's, it feels like a good time in in that way and and i've also um yeah it's just it, i've also just been through a lot i mean i think you know we've all been through a lot over especially over the last couple of years but it's just i really like grew up in this or like i started when i was 25 here you know like i really grew up in this organization and you know i have a family now and a house and like you know, I don't think I'm having a crisis, but I'm in like midlife. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a time to kind of take, take stock and assess a little bit. And like, it's so rare to have an opportunity to be able to do that really. I mean, I, I don't think I've really had a chance to do that for about 15 years or so right after college to really just kind of not really have a plan and kind of see what happens, you know, and there's definitely some concern about that. Just, you know, not having a job and not having that structure or those relationships or that just daily connection with people in the same way um, that I'm like, oh, am I going to feel like really crummy about that? But I do have a lot of other things that I'm excited about working on. Um, Like I'm on a couple of boards with Upstream and the Pittsburgh LGBTQ hockey team. So I'm planning to play a lot of hockey and volunteer. Um, I like to do writing. I'm, it sounds like kind of, uh, <laughs> you going to work on your novel. I'm working yeah. on a novel. I just, yeah. Like it sounds weird to even say that. Cause I'm like, Oh, don't, don't have too many expectations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yes, I'm, I'm working on writing, um, a novel. I think that's what it's going to be. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still kidding, no, 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 but... no, no, you're right. Exactly. Um, Humans and are kind of predictable. They sometimes. are. They are. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm excited, though. Yeah. That's a great congratulations. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, and you said it out yeah. loud in front of people. Yeah, I know. I know, right? So it's like, yeah. Uh, I, I've been having just like a regular weekly like meet up with some friends who are also kind of like need some accountability buddies for to do some writing. And it's been really great. So, you know, with all those things, there's definitely things that are going to keep me busy and interested and but I also hope like there's just like good time for reflection and stuff because you know it's definitely yeah it's 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 hard to kind of slow down and take stock when life is coming at you fast 
and uh, yeah. And when you're unhappy in a particular situation, mm -hmm. it makes it even worse. So, you know, you're in a good place and that's very yeah. helpful. Yeah, I feel like kind of, you know, I feel really confident about the team also. Like, it's it never feels like the right time to leave. Like, I feel like other times before when I'm just kind of like, what I, you know, like, am I kind of curious about leaving or something else? And I'm just kind of like, oh, no, like, ship feels a little unsteady, like, better, you know. And I think also, like, the past few years through COVID or whatever, like, it definitely mm -hmm. was like, I needed to be more steady in a situation and stick with something. I also felt responsibility to like stick with something and be more that make help make it more steady. Um, but I feel like you know we're in a good spot right now, and I'm really excited about um, kind of pa you know passing the torch, both to the next person in my role, but also to um, also my team just feels really strong right now. So I feel like it yeah it's a good it's a good time in that regard to be like okay. Um, let's figure out what the next step is. And I'm not trying to like rush into the next 12 year work you know, experience. That's the you know? great part of it is to have that. It's, it's a privilege mm -hmm. to have that oh, time absolutely. and that space yeah. to be able to not panic. Mm -hmm. And usually it's financial, but yeah. to not panic about what you're doing next. I mean, my situation was kind of forced on me, but I also feel very fortunate that I have been able to just take a pause. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I am not writing a novel, but I started a podcast. Yeah, right. right. That's a podcast. So I feel <laughs> that's, it's equivalent. That's on an equivalent level. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been really a positive experience, uh, except for having to deal with the anvil. I've been calling it an anvil that oh, falls on my head yeah. every, like, 10 to 15 days. And then, like, the bump that goes... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I have to deal with and nurse back, and yeah. it's, it's uh, I'm becoming more and more resilient, so it's shorter time frames yeah. to recover from that. Yeah, um, and and there's some really interesting things that have popped up because I've been able to have that pause. Yeah. so yeah, I think that'll exactly. be good for you too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been thinking I about hope you that know, is good for you. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I've definitely been exploring like, what would it mean to go back to school, and what kind of programs I'm interested in, and who do I know who's maybe done those programs I could talk to about it. You know, what other organizations that I'm already connected to that I could talk to people who work there about what they do? And is it just like my imagination of what they do that sounds really fun? Or is like, how, what is it like their actual day to day? So I, I, you know, I hope to just have a lot of coffee with a lot of people and just like talk about all that stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, I'd like to... <laughs> I was mentioning before about like, you know, when I was working at Blackberry Meadows and like met uh, Mindy Schwartz and, and then worked got that connection to work at Garden Dreams and how fun that job was. And I was just thinking about that. Like, I just, I like did not have to make any decisions. I worked around like 20,000 beautiful plants. It was in a basement, but it was still lovely and just got to like pot up plants all day and like get paid cash and like got really strong because I'd have to lift these heavy trays <laughs> up and down stairs or whatever. And then I'd like also just talk to some customers and like do some chit chat. Like it was very low stakes and like lovely. And it would be nice to do something that was also kind of like that for a little while, just to like have something, you know, going on. Um, so if anyone's but... got a 12 to $15 an hour <laughs> labor position, Raiden is available. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I Super know. Super part-time, I'm guessing. Like yeah, maybe 10 hours a week. You know, like, I, you know, I'd love to, yeah, I gotta like stay active. I think that, um, you know, going from a, going from a position where I was really like on the ground working at the gardens, like all day, every day 
to working like sitting in my butt all day pretty much like I started running again so like that's been a really fun experience between like running and hockey and trying to just like keep up with that but, I was gonna say it's almost hockey season yeah again. yeah well for sure yeah so we're um got some fun things in the works there and we got some travel coming up this fall and winter so yeah that's exciting yeah well Raiden it has been a pleasure getting to know you and it's been a pleasure working with you yeah. for all these years so and, many years you know yeah. I feel like you just sort of like you were around the same time I was around mm-hmm. the whole scene and then we just sort of like sort of faded together at yeah, some point we're just yeah. like yeah we know each other yeah. like I don't yeah. know how exactly yeah. but <laughs> yeah it's really like it, it it is really cool to see how you know with our with our experiences and roles like kind of I noticed that with a, with some people here too as, as well where I was just like I'm working in my department and you're working in your department we do our separate things but then over time we both our roles change and we have a broader like we're looking in a broader landscape I guess and then we kind of notice each other more work together more talk more that kind of stuff and it's really cool when that happens and gets to happen over the course of many years I mean it's been a long time yeah um and a lot of our programs have interacted and you know like have have gotten better because of each other's programs kind of creating opportunities and creating some pushback and and you know getting a chance to like talk with you about all the fun challenges that this work brings you know it's really it's been nice yeah, that's that's a little bit of the zone where I'm in right now where I've got a couple of weeks left and I'm just like, my time is so limited. I have to focus on these very few things and it's like, and I just have to leave the list of all the stuff that I like would have liked to do. Just leave it and then trust that other people will take it on in various ways and... <laughs> Well, and I won't won't be my responsibility. Yeah. I'll be responsible for other things, you know, and, and, and maybe other smarter minds than I will be able to figure out how to navigate these kinds of things and you know, but I, I um Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the more devastating <laughs> things about my situation yeah. is yeah. there was nothing right. I could do and it was essentially yeah. like the house burned. Yeah. And everything was yeah. gone. Yeah. And I had to just deal with it yeah that's, still still dealing with it that, still thinking yeah. about like what are we doing about stormwater uh, it's gonna take a lot catchment to, and to stuff, be so. able to bounce back from something like that for sure yeah. and it does it feels like yeah i mean just just having been in a place for a really long time and then and leaving and being like what are all the things that i'm taking with me that i just don't even know that i'm taking with me you know what i mean and um there's definitely like a sadness and loss in that and it's like I can bring those things with me to something else as like a experience, and the people that are doing the continuing the work will be fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like yes, you're you're gotta... definitely leaving it in good hands. You told me who you hired, and I'm very yeah, excited that yeah. you're taking on that role. So. Yeah, yeah. But thank you so much for being on my podcast, right? Oh, it's for sure, it was really fun. Thank you. And I'm it's been great chatting with you more lately. Um, and yeah, definitely keep in touch. Bowl and Spoon is written, produced, and hosted by me, Shelley Danko Day. 
Copy Editing by Carolyn Ristow, Details Review. Original theme song was written and performed by Paul Labrise and Friends. You can listen to With Bowl and Spoon anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us and send us questions or messages on Facebook and Instagram or on our website, withbowlandspoon.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.